from beginning to end, from the opening words of Genesis, in the beginning God, to the closing words of Revelation, amen, come Lord Jesus. It's been a wonderful time. I've, I've personally, I don't know about you, but I've personally learned some things that I didn't know. I've been reminded of some things that I have forgotten. I hope you have been challenged and encouraged uh, and, and spiritually inspired by what this has done, inspired to dig deeper, to go further, to continue to build your relationship with God and His Word. We're in the book of Revelation this morning, uh, and, and I want to take a brief look at this, the closing book of the New Testament. But actually, folks, we are ending at the beginning. You see, at the end of this book, there is a brand new beginning. Actually, the first part of the story, everything we've talked about for the first nine months, is the short part of the story. At the end of the book of Revelation, God reboots history, and for there it is eternity, and who knows what all He has planned for us. I know the book of Revelation can be complex, It can be confusing. It can be hard to understand. I know some folks who won't even take time to read it. They just say, give me the stories of Jesus. That's all I need. Revelation is so hard. Why do I need to know this stuff? A physics professor was giving a lecture when he was interrupted by one of his students who sarcastically said, physics is hard. Why do we need to know this stuff? The professor replied, to save lives, and he went on with his lecture. Moments later, the same student interrupted the professor again, and how exactly does physics save lives? The exasperated professor responded, physics saves lives by keeping certain people out of medical school. Just because something is complicated or complex or hard to understand doesn't mean we don't need it or that we shouldn't study it. Amidst the apocalyptic writing style, Revelation clearly communicates these certainties. These are clear. The church matters. God is on His throne. Evil will be judged. Satan is doomed. And the faithful will be rewarded. I wish we had time to explore the book in its depth this morning, but we don't. But I do, I do want to just give you these three glimpses out of the book of Revelation into important themes, the things that matter and that you should remember. Here's the first one. Revelation is about being warned. Now, I don't know if it is our <clears throat> litigious uh, society today, the, the fear of being sued uh, today, but warning labels have simply gotten out of hand. Take a look at a few of these. This is a warning label on a chainsaw. Do not hold the wrong end of this chainsaw. You would think that would be understood, wouldn't you? How about this this next one? We've got, um, (laughs) do not use while sleeping on a hairdryer. How many of you dry your hair at night with a hairdryer while you're asleep? How about this one? Do not iron clothes while you're wearing them. Now, I've read this actually happens. That's why this warning label is on there. People dashing out of a house, grabbing a hot iron, and trying to iron something that they're wearing. You know, it just kind of makes you wonder about people's uh, mental state at at times. Here's, here's, I think, my favorite. I've had a Dremel tool for for a long time. It says... (laughs) 
this is in the owner's manual. This is not a dental tool. Can, can you imagine somebody taking a Dremel tool with a, with a drill bit on the end of it and trying to do their own cavities? I mean, warning labels just baffle me sometimes from what people actually need to be warned. But Revelation is God's warning label. It, it opens with these words in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, that suggests to me a warning. When somebody says to me, let me tell you what's about to happen, my ears perk up. Such a statement suggests that I need to know what they're about to say. I need to be aware of what's in this information. I need to heed any warning that may be discussed. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation contain seven letters to seven churches. Of the seven letters, six contain warnings concerning the devastating spiritual conditions in these churches, from losing their love for God to being lukewarm in their commitment, these churches are warned to change their ways or suffer the consequences. The prophetic pictures in the seven seals in chapter 6, the seven plagues in chapter 15, and the seven bowls in chapter 16 all contain warnings. Here's my point. We may not understand completely all the nuances of apocalyptic language or the expected fulfillment of every prophetic utterance, but it is clear that we are being warned to be faithful to Christ and to follow Him no matter what. You see, a warning implies that if not heeded, disaster will follow. Warning, construction, double fines enforced, warning detour ahead. Warning, bridge out. If you keep on going without changing how you're going, you'll suffer those consequences. Revelation is God's warning that things will not always continue as they have in the past. There is a point in the future that only God knows when He says, enough is enough. I have done everything I can do to bring salvation to humanity. Time as we know it will be no more, and God will bring to a close life as we know it. You have been warned. Be ready for what lies ahead. Do not be cut off guard. Revelation is about being warned. Second thing is, Revelation is about celebrating the victory. Now, for all the strange and frightful images that sometimes occur in the book of Revelation, it really is about celebrating victory. I, I love the, 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 the lights that we have back here on, on the back of the platform. They're in the shape of a V. Every time I see them and they're lit up, I think of our victory in Christ. L look at Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged her by the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now the word hallelujah means simply praise the Lord. This is interesting to me. You, you travel around the world and, and this is one of those words that seems to transcend languages. Almost everybody pronounces hallelujah 
like hallelujah. You can understand that one in a lot of different languages. It is a word of genuine worship. It, it's a word that just kind of says it erupts out of our heart and out of our lips. It's as if we can't keep this praise inside of us. If we try to keep it inside of us, it's going to hurt us. We've got to get it out. We've got to let those words be pronounced. By the way, did you know that Revelation is the only New Testament book where the word hallelujah is found? The only New Testament book where hallelujah is found. And, and four times it's found in this chapter. In these first three verses, it is praise God for his just and his true judgments, for he's been victorious over his enemies. Now we ought to celebrate God's victory over his enemies because God's enemies are our enemies and God's victory is our victory. And so we celebrate that all of, those, all of the bad of this world has been conquered by the goodness of God. Now look in verses 4 and 5. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both small and great. In these next two verses, it is praise God for who he is. This is pure worship. Tim mentioned that most of the book of Revelation is all about worshiping God, and it is. It is this picture of the worship that is going to take place in heaven. But I, but I hope you realize this morning that you're never going to be totally satisfied with worship in this life, no matter how many churches you visit or how many profound personal moments of worship you experience. Why? Well, part of it is our knowledge is incomplete in this world. We, we don't have the full picture. It's hard to be satisfied when, when you don't have the full picture. And, and God's plan has not yet been fulfilled. We, we don't have all that God is going to do. And none of us who facilitate worship or engage in worship are, are perfect. None of us is perfect. You take imperfect people singing to a perfect God, and it's not going to be satisfying worship in this world. And, and frankly, folks, I don't think apart from being in his presence, we can have a complete understanding of what worship is all about. When we are in his presence, worship will just be this natural expression of deepest thanks. But worship in heaven, it's everything you've ever longed for and more. No wonder it is filled with hallelujahs. In heaven, we're all going to be a part of the hallelujah chorus. Look in verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who have, are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. In these verses, the great hallelujahs are for the wedding feast that takes place in heaven. Now, weddings are grand occasions. It doesn't matter what age or what stage in life they occur. Weddings, are, they're just grand occasions. Jake was 92. Anna was 89 when they found each other, fell in love, and decided to get married. 
And they were so excited. They were like teenagers in love all over again. And so in preparation for their wedding, they stopped by the drugstore closest to where their new home would be, and Jake had a few questions for the pharmacist. He said, we're getting married. We need to know, do you sell medication for uh, artery issues and for heart problems? And the pharmacist said, well, well, of course, certainly we do. Medicine for rheumatism, arthritis, and osteoporosis? Yes, we have several varieties. What about vitamins, sleeping pills, Geritol, Pepto-Bismol, and Ephrodent? Yes, we've got all of those. Do you have wheelchairs, canes, walkers, and those electric scooters? Well, yes, we've got scooters in all sizes and, and speeds. He said, that does it, Jake said. We'd like to register for our wedding gifts here. <laughs> it doesn't matter at what age or stage a wedding takes place. It's an exciting thing. Stop by any wedding boutique and you will see the most extravagant, lavish displays of wedding attire and wedding cakes and, and wedding uh, flowers that are available. It's enough to make any bride swoon and any father of the bride simply pass out. Weddings are just glorious. But the most extravagant wedding ever in this world will pale in comparison to what we'll experience there. What an incredible sight, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, shouting and rejoicing over the marriage of Christ and His bride, the church, united finally together forever. There will be no wedding crashers there. And we won't be there because we deserve to be there. We will be there because of the Lord's invitation of grace. And let me tell you this, unlike every wedding in this world, all eyes will be focused on the groom there because it is his victory that has gained our invitation to the wedding feast of all time. And this celebration won't just last for an evening. Its celebration will last forever. I heard Rick actually in a sermon say, the story, the Bible begins with a spiritual divorce in the garden, but it ends with a spiritual wedding in the garden city. This is one wedding you dare not miss, and it will unleash the worship of the ages in the presence of Almighty God. Here's the last thing. Revelation is about home. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no need of light they are, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. John the Apostle sees heaven from a bird's eye view. He is not a resident of heaven when he writes these things. He's not even a participant, but he writes about the walls and the gates and the tree-lined streets and the throne in the very center of the city and the exhilarating worship music and the immense size of this celestial city. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 22, you don't have a clue about what life is like in the city. You just know that's a place you don't want to miss. You just know enough to drop everything, book a flight to forever, and join the Apostle John in this adventure of a lifetime because heaven is too great of a place to miss. 
Of all the earthly images to describe heaven, the one I like best, my favorite, is home. Henry Van Dyke penned these classic words, Every house where love abides and friendship is a guest is surely home and home sweet home, for there the heart can rest. When you return from a business trip late at night, it is thoughts of home that keep you going. When the stress of life seems overwhelming, home becomes the refuge. You step through the door, and suddenly the burden doesn't feel quite as heavy. When you're sick, home makes you feel better. When you're weary, home gives you a bed that sleeps like no other. When you're happy, home is where you want to celebrate. It's true, there is no place like home, and you don't need a pair of ruby slippers to understand that. George Washington said, I'd rather be on my farm than be emperor of the world. And Douglas said, home is an invention on which no one has yet improved. Billy Graham said, my home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. When we read Jesus' description of heaven as a home or a dwelling place that he is preparing for us, it strikes a comforting chord in our souls. When we read John's description of heaven as a perfect place, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, it can even make us a little bit homesick for that place. Sometimes the only thing that gets us through this life is the assurance of the better place we're headed. Some of the things that are normal here some of the things that we deal with every day here, like hospitals and addiction centers and nursing homes and garbage dumps and prisons and funeral homes and cemeteries, will never be normal there. They won't even exist there. The curse is visible everywhere you turn in this world, folks. Every time I see a birth defect or I hear the word malignant or I stand by an open grave, I know the curse is real. But here's the good news. It's real but it's not forever. Our new home is coming, and it will be perfect. What's your favorite part of home? Huh? What, what, what's your favorite part? At home, you can shut out the world. You can turn off the phone. You can log off the computer. You can escape from the stress of the world. At home, you can invest in your favorite hobby, your favorite pastime, your favorite book, and feel refreshed. At home, there is no pretense. All the masks come off. You can truly be yourself. We men can stop holding in our stomachs. At home, no pretense. At home, there is a chair that really fits you. It's the most comfortable chair in the world, but it's only at home. At home, whatever's in the refrigerator or the pantry, you can grab, guzzle, or gulp. It's yours. At home, you have time with your family, the people you love, and who, you, and who will love you when no one else in this world will love you. Their joy their laughter can fill the air, and your troubles seem to melt away at home. What's your favorite part about home? Just multiply it a thousand times a thousand, and you're just getting a glimpse into what home will be like there. I love the picture, home. Revelation is about home. I usually don't like to hear the ending of a story in a book before I read it, and I certainly don't like to know the ending of the movie before I watch it. But there, there's an interesting research that was done at the University of California, San Diego, that suggests that spoilers don't spoil stories. Uh, the, the research, and, and they did three different kinds of research, and they came to the conclusion 
that when people know the end of the story, they, they actually relax more. And that when people were interviewed after trying both all different kinds of things, they liked the spoiled version of the story best. One researcher commented and said, it could be that once you know how the story turns out, you're more comfortable and you can focus on the deeper understanding of the story. Long before that research, God knew that's the way we are wired. And so he gives us at the very last book, at the very end of the New Testament, this spoiler to tell us how it all ends. And knowing the ending helps us live in the middle while we wait for a new beginning. And you say, I want to go there. How can I go there? Only one can take you there. As much as I would like to tell you that every path is headed toward the pearly gates, I cannot. Only the one who died in your place and rose again to give you life can grant you entrance. Revelation 21, 27 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You mean in this age of computers, God is still writing in a book? Actually, the word is scroll. But don't get hung up on the image. That's just the picture that John had to offer us. I don't know how God has your name recorded. I'm just telling you, you need to make sure it's written there. And by his grace, it'll be written in indelible, eternal ink. He and he alone can get you home. If you'll indulge me, I, I want to close with one of my favorite illustrations of, of going home to heaven. You've heard it before, but let me tell you again. A fellow in the church dies and <clears throat> finds himself at the pearly gates of heaven. <laughs> Peter's there. It's always Peter. And he sees a sign on the, on, the, on the gate, and the sign says, Entrance points required. 1,000. Then the guy kind of scratches his head, and Peter speaks. He said, so good to see you. Welcome here. And the guy says, well, Peter, I just got a question. Tell, tell me about the 1,000 points needed. And Peter said, oh, that's, that's easy. You tell me what you've done in your life, and I'll tell you how many points. And the guy said, this ought to be a piece of cake. At the age of 12, Peter, I became a Christian. You know, I, you know I'm 85 right now, or was until I arrived here at the gates. And from the age 12 to 85, I have lived for you. I have followed you. I have been a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ from day one. That, that's, that's, that's who I am, Peter. Peter says, that is marvelous. I am thrilled to death about that. You've got a point. Now go on. And the guy says, well, I, I, I did teach junior high boys for 20 years at the church. And Peter said, oh, that's a real task. He said, you got another point. Keep going. And he said, well, I served as an elder, and I, and, and I, I went to the mission field for short-term mission trips. I helped do I served as treasurer of the church for the last 20 years of my life. Peter said, marvelous. That's another point. You got three points. Keep going. And the guy in exasperation simply said, my goodness, but for the grace of God, nobody can get in here. And Peter said, what did you say? He said, I said, but for the grace of God, nobody could get in here. Peter said, ah, the grace of God. That's a thousand points. Come on in. Nobody's going because you deserve it. And aren't you glad? Because none of us deserve a home like that. But by his grace, you've been warned. So get ready. 
You don't want to miss this wedding. It's the grandest ever. And you don't want to miss home forever.